0: It is really good to see you this morning, and uh, yes, please, if you are a woman interested in theological education, please join us tonight. Uh, We're going to have a panel discussion with Lee Swanson, wave your hand right here, but also uh, Liz Edrington, Emmy Thompson, all three uh, Orlando grads, and um, we'd love to talk to you about that. And then uh, Caleb, lift your hand. Caleb Bernis, our admissions director, we've got a table set up over in Carter, and if uh, anyone's thinking about seminary, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, it's great to be here today. It's great to be here on the first day in chapel without masks. I mean, that's awesome. It that is awesome. And it's good to see uh, so many friendly, familiar faces. Uh, you know, Dr. Cappix, old friend of mine, and I love him very much um, and it's really nice to see him dressed the way he is today. Because last time I saw Dr. Kapik, we went to a, a Mavs game in Dallas, and he was wearing this like, really awkward tank top. <laughs> and these shorts that were just too short. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, I don't, I don't know, because I'm, I'm not a big NBA guy, you know what I'm saying? But I know he's really into it, and so... Uh, I don't know it's just he seems a little too old I mean (laughs) ah. but man good to see you all right Uh, if you have your Bible uh, please open it to Psalm 93 I'll read it and I will try to not think about Dr. Capuch in short shorts (laughs) and then we'll pray hear the word of the Lord. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that you call us into your presence, and we come with thanksgiving in our hearts, and we bow our hearts and our lives to you. It is not we who have made ourselves, but you have made us, you have redeemed us, you have called us your children, you have promised us an everlasting inheritance. And we would hear your voice this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. May we be encouraged that you indeed reign for us in Christ, and we ask it in his name, amen. So, uh, boy, this was probably, I guess, almost 30 years ago. I was about your age, and I grew up in Florida. Um, And the thing that my family did, did growing up, my dad did it when he was growing up, water skiing It's our favorite thing. And most of the time, we were water skiing in lakes, in rivers, and so forth. Uh, but from time to time, we would get a little bit brave and go out in the ocean, which is a little bit sketchy, to be honest, as you'll see. Uh, and one day we were skating in, uh, ski, water skiing in the St. John's River, which is a big river, and came to the mouth of the river. And we said, you know, it's kind of a pretty day. Let, let's go out in the ocean. We're going to go water skiing in the ocean. And, uh, We we come out to the Atlantic Ocean and, you know, we we have to do this right. So we said, let's, we need to go down the beach two miles. And you may ask, why do you need to go down the beach two miles, right? Uh, Isn't the ocean perfectly fine right here? Well, the trick is, two miles down Atlantic Beach is where all the hotels are, and that's where all the girls were, right? So, (laughs) uh, so we take our little ski boat. This is like... I'll be back next week, okay? Uh, I, I, yeah, I've never got so much encouragement. Um, so, <laughs> go two miles down the beach. We're waterskiing, skiing, having a great time. Of course, no girls are noticing us, but uh, it was great. But something we hadn't planned for, and which we really should have planned for, because, again, I lived in Florida my whole life. I've seen this happen basically every single day of the summer is that a storm came out of nowhere. Skies turn from blue to dark, water turns from smooth to absolutely crazy, like we're talking like four-foot waves rising up. And the problem is, remember, we're in a little ski boat. Little, there's like no depth at all. And you can't go to the shore because now the big waves are crashing, right? And, and you'll flip the boat. And so basically, we've got to figure out a way to get two miles back to, to the river. And for two miles, this little tiny ski boat basically was hopping from the peak of one wave to the peak of another wave, and we were scared to death. Well, Psalm 93 comes in the midst of Book 4 of the Psalms, Psalms 90 through 106. And it was written in a time and for a time in Israel's history where they were experiencing great change. Crane change they should have known was coming, but they were not prepared for, and their life had turned upside down. And the waves that were crashing around them were also getting in their boat, and indeed getting in their hearts. They had not planned for what they were about to face. You haven't planned, probably, for what you've been through the past two years or so. Friend who teaches uh, at another Christian undergraduate institution uh, recently made the claim that when he talks to students your age, that a defining characteristic that is all pervasive is despair. Despair about the present, despair about the future, right? Two, three years ago, when you're planning for going to college, planning for a major, entering adulthood, the last thing you probably had on your calendar was a global pandemic. The last thing you had on your calendar was the kind of economic crises that have followed, the political crises that have followed, and, and perhaps most surprising, certainly most grieving of all, are the kinds of crises we've seen in our own churches. But Psalm 93 has something to say to us this morning about this. It has a song that it wants to sing, that it wants to plant in our hearts, that it wants to teach us to take on our lips, and as surprising as the last few years have been for all of us, they haven't been a surprise for the Lord. They haven't changed his plans for your future or for mine. And we can still hear the good news that this psalm sings The Lord reigns. And so I want to take a couple of minutes and uh, look at three of the notes that this psalm sounds in praising the Lord who reigns over us, for us, and in us. First note that this psalm sounds we see in verses 1 and 2 that the world's stability is a sign that the Lord reigns. The world's stability is a sign that the Lord reigns. It's a common thing you see in Scripture that uh, the Bible wants to teach us how to think about our lives, it wants to teach us how to think about God by telling us to look out at the world around us. So Psalm 104 does this, looks at all the different creatures that God has made, looks at all the different habitats that God has placed them in. And it it teaches us to to draw from this perception, the conclusion that God's wisdom is manifold. Right? How manifold are your works in wisdom? You made them all. Jesus does a similar thing in the Sermon on the Mount, where he tells you to look at the birds. Right, they don't toil, they don't spin, they don't gather into barns, but the Lord takes care of them. In other words, when when you see that happy little bird tweeting around campus, that's supposed to remind us that we have a good Father in heaven who takes care of us. Well Psalm 93 does a similar thing, but in this case it draws our attention to the stability of the world. And it wants us to see that the stability of the world is a sign of God's eternal and sovereign power. It's a remarkable thing. Uh, how many of you, when you went to bed last night, uh, got really anxious and worried and, and, and stayed up for hours wondering if the sun was going to rise today? You might have worried about a lot of things, you might have worried about a test, you might have worried about money, you might have worried about relationships, but you probably didn't worry about the sun rising today. Why? because we can take it for granted, right? When the farmer sows a certain kind of seed, he doesn't wonder if after uh, watering it and watching over it for months and months and months, one morning he's gonna come out and kangaroos are gonna be springing from the ground instead of wheat. Why? Because farming presupposes regularity. When men and women marry, they, they hope to have children. There are certain patterns that are built into the world certain stability, certain regularity. And Psalm 93 says that we should see that stability as a sign that the Lord reigns. The question is why? Why does the stability of the world count as evidence that the Lord reigns? Well, the reason is, it's because the the world in itself has no stability. It's interesting when, when Book 4 of the Psalms starts in Psalm 90, This is actually the first major theme it reflects upon, the instability of creation, and and particularly the instability of human beings, especially because of our sin. It it describes that instability in a number of ways, as, as a dream that the moment you wake up, you've forgotten what it was. It describes it as a sigh. That's the permanence of our lives. Well, how is it then that the regularity of the world exists? Well, Psalm 93 says, climb the ladder. The world is established. It shall never be moved. Then it takes us up from the world to heaven, where God's throne is. It says, your throne, O God, is established from of old. But then it climbs even above heaven and says, you, O Lord, are from everlasting. It's the Eternal God, who's the source of this world's stability. And so here's the thing about it, right? That reminds us that for all the, the craziness that we see in life, all of the unpredictability, all the unexpected things, we, we can sometimes kind of compare those against the things we're, we're used to seeing, at, that used, we can usually trust in and, and think that these are just the conscious. But, but actually, even the things that we usually trust in, Those stable things are reminding us in the midst of chaos that this is God's world. He's in charge, right? His purpose is going to prevail. And so when you see the sunrise in the morning, remember, the Lord reigns. The second note that this psalm sounds, and we see this in verses 3 and 4, is that the world's instability is not a threat to the Lord's reign, and therefore, it's not ultimately a threat to you either. Verse 3, the floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Stability is not the only word that this psalm communicates, instability is there as well. So this is not a kind of Pollyannish, oh, don't worry, everything's gonna be all right. You're, you're, you're exaggerating how bad your circumstances are. Trust God. That's not what this psalm is saying, okay? This psalm knows about those chaotic waves that crash around us. This psalm knows about those chaotic waves that crash in our hearts, that, that bring turbulence in our lives. And it has a word to say about that as well. Now, I think in the context of Psalm 93, these waves represent the nations which have probably invaded Judah and and sent God's people into exile. They represent the real threat of God's enemies against God's people. And the thing about it in, in, in the exile, right, is that Israel knows that these waves have crashed around them these voices have, have lift up their God-defying cry, their people of God destroying anger, and that the chaos really is all their fault. They've brought this on themselves. Right? In the Mosaic Covenant, the Lord had laid out very clearly the sanctions that would come if His people were disobedient to His law. Right? If they did not love God and neighbor the way they were called to do. And we know from the history of Israel, they had not done this. And God said, when you don't do it, and I call you back though you continue to disobey, I'm going to send the nations against you. And so, Israel knows that they deserve what they've gotten. And, and, and the reason the waves, I think, are used to symbolize this opposition in the nations is because, as we know in Scripture, waters are often the, the chief threat to God's people, right, even in the creation. After God brought all things into existence, as the Spirit of God is hover, hovering over the waters, darkness covered the face of the deep. When Israel comes out of the exodus, what do they face immediately that almost seems to ruin their escape just as soon as it has begun. They've got the Red Sea. And so waters are a threat, and they represent the threats that come against God's people. But verse 4 says, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mightier. The forces within creation that stand against God, that stand against God's people are not mightier than God. They are not a threat to His reign, and therefore they're not ultimately a threat to us. And again, this is what the entire story of Scripture says. Darkness is over the face of the deep, but God separates the water from the dry land, making the world inhabitable for human beings. When Israel comes to the Red Sea, God sends a mighty wind and parts the Red Sea, and His people pass through. And then of course, at the fullness of time, God in the person of His Son becomes incarnate, and He enters into the chaotic waves. It's fascinating at the beginning of John 12 after Jesus has finished His entire public ministry, He's about to turn aside to the disciples and and encourage them and console them in the farewell discourse, and the first words out of his mouth in the farewell discourse are going to be, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let the tumult and turbulence overwhelm you. But before he issues that word of consolation to the disciples, in chapter 12, what does he say of himself? My soul is deeply troubled. Why? Jesus, have you brought this on yourself? Have you been unfaithful to God? And now do you stand under the threat of God's curses? And of course, we know the answer is no. His soul is not troubled because he faces the turbulence of waves, because he faces the chaotic voices that would accuse him of his sins. His soul is troubled because he says he's going to be lifted up from the earth as a sacrificial lamb to bear the curse for our sins. But of course, this is what Psalm 93 says. How is the Lord, how does the Lord show that he is mightier than the waves? The Lord on high, lifted up from the earth on the cross, is not only a sacrificial lamb. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, who deposes the one who could accuse us, the ruler of this world, so that now nothing can separate us from the love of God. And this is the great transition, of course, that Christ effects on the cross. Before He died, any time the waves arose around God's people, they had to ask the question, what have we done to bring this upon ourselves? After Christ died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of God and poured out His Spirit, the Lord says to His people, If anyone stirs up strife against you from here on out, it's not from me. The Lord on high is mightier than the voice of many waters. The world's instability is not a threat to the Lord's reign. And if you are in Christ, it's not a threat to you either. The last thing we see in these verses we see it in verse 5, the Lord's reign because it is reflected in the world's stability, because it overrules the world's instability, and it does so majestically and gloriously and triumphantly in Christ and in His death, resurrection, ascension and enthronement to the Father's right hand. Because of these things, the Lord's reign guarantees that we will behold his beauty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore." It's an interesting way of describing the house of the Lord, which again, in the context of the original audience of Book 4 of the Psalms would have been destroyed. So we're now talking about a future hope. This fascinating language that is used to describe the holiness of God's house. Not here, holiness as a threat to sinners, although that is part of God's holiness, but holiness as an attractive force. Holiness is beautiful. It says, holiness bedecks your house. Your, your house is lovely with holiness. The word lovely, is, it's, it's the word that's used to describe the one whose feet are running on the mountains to preach good news. How lovely are the feet of Him. It's the language used in Song of Psalms, chapter 1, verse 10. I think Dr. Allen preached on Song of Songs. Controversial text. Dr. Allen. Song of Songs describes the loveliness of His lover's cheeks. Well, this is the description given to the Lord's house. Why is it? Because we know, of course, that at the fullness of time, Christ did not only come to be our redeemer, to bear our sins on the cross, but he came to be our bridegroom. Psalm 45 says, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. And the great hope that the Lord's reign guarantees, the firm foundation that lies before us, no matter what comes against us in the short term or in the long term, is that we will behold the King in His beauty. We will see His face. You are made for beauty. You've been redeemed for beauty. And again, if you are in Christ, your destiny is beauty, to behold the king in his beauty. Well, you and I may not have planned for the last few years, and this text does not offer us three helpful techniques, three ways to think better and manage our lives, but it does offer us a song. And my prayer for you this morning is that you'll hear the voice of the one who sings this psalm, who announces the Lord's reign, who is the source of the world's stability, who overrules all the world's instability and who's promised that you will see his face. Let's pray. Our Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, we pray that according to your riches and glory, you'll grant through your spirit that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith, that we being rooted and grounded in his love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ, which is past knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And we ask it that unto you, our Father, who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to his power, that is work in us, that unto you will be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.